Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. We're in a series right now all about who Jesus is. And so today uh, we're looking at one of the I am statements, one of the first ones, I am the bread of life, which I'm excited to talk about today. Uh, The Gospel of John's cool because uh, unlike the other synoptic Gospels, uh, it kind of comes at Jesus' identity from a different perspective. The other Gospels are more of Jesus saying, who do you say I am? Who do they say that I am? Like, what's being said about me? Uh, The Gospel of John's cool because Jesus is saying, this is who I am. And so that's why we're studying from here. So our reading today, uh, if you want to follow along with me, is in uh, John chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can turn there. we got the big dog back here. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and do not yet believe. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for letting us be in your presence today. Father, we pray that you'd speak to us through your word, Lord, that you'd illuminate the scriptures to us, and that we'd leave here with a greater understanding of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're picking up this story in this uh, chunk of scripture that we just read right after the feeding of the 5,000. Probably heard of the feeding of the 5,000, right? So commentators, scholars would agree. This is more like 20,000-ish people, give or take. Uh, If there's 5,000 men, because that's how they were counting in the day, that'd be like, you know, assume that they're married and maybe they have two kids. That takes you up to 20K. Obviously, not everyone would be married. Maybe they have more than two kids. Whatever. That's where we're at. It's 20,000 people. But the miracle is that Jesus feeds the 20,000 people, right? That's pretty crazy. Uh, Not only does he feed them, that alone is pretty cool, but how does he feed them? Well, with his his kid's lunch, right? This kid has five loaves of bread, bread and two fish. Do you know how big 20,000 is? I'm so bad at counting numbers. I'd look out and be like, there's 15 people here right now. No, 20,000 people is the crypto.com arena. That's the cap there, Staples Center. That's, That's 20K. Jesus does that with this kid's lunch. And so these guys just saw Jesus do that and they're like, what sign do you do? They got manna in the wilderness. They got bread in the desert. What, what do you even do? He's like, you, you saw the 20,000, right? Okay. <laughs> Have you ever been given something and then immediately just like wanted more right after? Yeah, because we're humans. It's like, imagine somebody gave you 50 bucks. You'd be like, oh, cool. It's awesome. I love 50 bucks. It'd be really great if this were 100 bucks though. Because I, I could, yeah, I, I could think of ways I want to spend 100 Or maybe you get like a bonus and it's 200 bucks or something. 
And you get in, you're like, nice, 200 bucks. Yeah, that thing I want is like 397 bucks, though. Like, no matter what we're given, we're always uh, wanting more than that. We're never satisfied. And what's funny about humans is, like, as we go through life, that target just continues to grow, right? It gets further and further away and higher and higher, and we just keep, keep letting it move. So today we're talking about Jesus calling himself, identifying himself as the bread of life, and we want to know why. Jesus, why do you refer to yourself as the bread of life? So we're going to start back in the Old Testament to see what the Bible has to say about this concept of bread. So the first time that we see bread in the Bible is in Genesis, in the book of Genesis. And it's directly uh, in connection with the penalty of sin with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they begin their journey with God in the garden, right? You know the story. They're in paradise. God gives them the gift of life. They didn't ask to be there. They didn't have to pray about it. He just made them. They were given life, and they were given life in the most insanely beautiful garden you've ever seen. Not like the tiny garden at my house where the plants are dying. It's a garden like Angela's National Forest. Like wilderness, enormous. It's luscious. It's green. There's plants. There's pomegranates. It smells amazing. That's where these guys are. And they're with God. They get to know God personally. God gave this to them. But then, of course, the servant comes along and he tempts them with something more. Right? More than God has given to them. So, of course, Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit. They take the bait. They're like, I'm into more. I like more. This probably isn't enough. God, yeah, thanks for putting me here. And this life's pretty awesome. But what this guy's selling sounds pretty good. So uh, let's go and eat it. We get to be more spiritual. We get to be like you. I want to do all those things. So in Genesis 3.17, says this. uh, To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So right away, we're seeing that bread, sustenance, provision is directly correlated to toil and to hard work. That's why he says, by the sweat of your brow, you shall eat bread. And of course, this is the original sin. When we talk about original sin, this is it. This is elevating man's idea and creation above God and his commands. We're rebelling against God and saying, I think I know better than you. What they wanted to give them life, they reached out for. It actually brought them death. And if you read through the Old Testament, like a, the way that God works is he'll let himself Well, he'll let them get what they wanted by allowing them to choose what they want to choose, which ultimately leads to death. It's life without God. They chose the creation over the creator. And we do this now, right? We worship things over the one who gives the things. We'll we'll come up with these narratives like, okay, my life will be better. Then I'll become, and that means I'm taken care of because just trace the thought process, right? If they love me, then I get the job or then I get the husband and they have money and then I'm cared for and then I'm safe. Right, You could take it all the way down. All of it is worshiping creation over the creator. And it isn't that creation's bad. God made it. He called it good, but we put it in the wrong order. So the first time we see bread is in direct correlation with the toil. Fast forward to the next book in your Bible, which is Exodus. Moses and the Israelites. So God's people, the Israelites, are enslaved, right? And they, Israel, are enslaved to Egypt, Egypt, and God's like, I want to take my people out of, out of slavery. So he uses Moses to do it. 
Now, these people experienced this miraculous circumstance where God frees them, and they took some food with them. But soon the food ran out, right? So they were, they were hungry. So they're in the, uh, in the desert with Moses, and they're like, yo, Moses, not being slaves is cool, but we're hungry. At least when we were slaves, we had food to eat. Like, we are ridiculous, dude. At least, maybe we should just go back to being slaves, because at least when we were there, we could, we could eat food. Moses, did you bring us out here to starve us to death, bro? What are you doing? We're so dramatic. And Exodus 16, verse 4, says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion one day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law, my command or not. In the sixth day, when they prepare what they will bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Okay, another command from God. Hey, I want you to go out there, and I'm going to give you everything you need day by day. You get your daily bread today. I'm going to give it to you in the morning. You can eat it. The catch is you can't store it till the next day because it spoils. Just got to trust me. This is the command that I give you. And then he goes, ah, except because I'm God and I can do whatever I want. On day six, you're going to gather enough for two days, and I'll make it last. Because on day seven, I want you to take your Sabbath, Right? They're like, okay, cool. You just freed us from slavery, so okay, let's do this. So they're gathering bread. Sixth day comes. They gather the two uh, days' portions worth of bread, and then the seventh day comes. So obviously they rested and listened to God. Of course they didn't. On the seventh day, in Exodus 16, verse 27, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Obviously, because God said it wouldn't be there. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let none, no one go out of this place, even on the seventh day. These guys are like, I need to get more. God told me to do this. It's not enough. I need to get some more for myself. I need to go out there and work for it. It's going to be by my toil that I get what I need. God, you just brought me out of, out of slavery. God, you just provided for me six days in a row. And, and what you said came true about the bread holding for an extra day, which is, that's pretty impressive, I will say. Uh, but you probably still don't know what I need today. So yet again, we see God gives them a command. They rebel against it. They are actually living in idolatry. They have a wrong view of God. And they're elevating what they think above what God has said. Humans, they tend to think in terms of just practical. We just see like on one plane. They're like, right, the bread goes here and I'm good. The bread goes here and I'm good. The bread goes here and I'm good. So all I need is more bread. That's it. Right, this job is more money. So I just need this job and then this job and then this job. Oh, this person gets me that promotion? Oh, this person gets me connected to them and they have a lot of money? Oh, this person knows this actor? I, okay, and we just kind of see on, in one dimension. God gave them this miraculous sign but all they saw was the sign itself. They're not thinking about anything aside from what is physically in front of them. They're not thinking about where does this actually come from. That's why Jesus said in, in John 6, it isn't Moses. Signs typically point you to something, right? Like you never see a sign that just kind of like popped up accidentally or randomly. No. Somebody put the sign there. Why did they put the sign there? Well, to point you to them to point you to what they want you to look at, right? If I'm driving on the freeway and I see a Chick-fil-A sign, I don't think, ah, oh, Chick-fil-A sign. I think, ooh, spicy chicken deluxe, and I turn off the freeway and go to Chick-fil-A. They want me to go to them. That's what signs do. So when we jump back up to John 6 in the feeding of the 5,000s, 
the 5,000, the, the 20,000, this is what the people are talking about. They're talking about the story in Exodus, right? They're like, yeah, hey, they got the manna in the wilderness. But the irony is that these people that were back here in the wilderness are kind of like, eh, it's not really that cool. Like, it's sort of whatever. I need more, actually. It's not enough. Yeah, these guys are like, we want something like that. It's not enough. The sign wasn't enough, right? So we're in, we're in John 6, and these guys, they see Jesus be the stable center with some breadsticks and, and fish, right? And they would be thinking something like this, I imagine, if they're anything like you and I, right? They'd be like, okay, so 20,000, let's do an, a, a very conservative estimate and say it's 10 bucks a person. They just saw Jesus do a $200,000 miracle in a matter of minutes with next to nothing. So if, again, if you're anything like present day people, we'd be like 200K, nice. This guy might be pretty handy to have around, to be honest with you, because if I don't have to spend money on lunch every day, my salary just went up big time. You know what I'm saying? So after the miracle is well, the 200K miracle, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the bread that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. He's saying, you're not enamored by what I did. You're enamored by the fact that your stomach is full. You're enamored by the fact that you got bread, but you didn't have to pay for it. That you got provision, that you got the sustenance, and you didn't have to work for it. You didn't have to toil for it. You got more than you bargained for. You're obsessed with the physical stuff, but not even thinking about the source that it came from. You settle for this lesser provision. You settle for the acceptance of people or you settle for the, the new job or the uh, advance or you settle for whatever it is and it slips through your fingers. It's bread that perishes and it's gone. And if you just took a step back and said, where does this come from? I think your life would begin to shift. And in John 6, so verse 5, backing up to before the miracle takes place. I love this. Jesus, he looks up and he sees the 20,000 coming toward him. And he says to Philip, hey, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? I love that John inserts this right here. Uh, He said this to test them, by the way. John, the one who Jesus loved. And then Philip answered, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to just have a bite. First of all, Philip, you're not doing too bad. If a half year's wage is 100K, good on you, my, my dog. Second of all, Jesus says, where? Where does this come from? Philip says, do you even know how much that's going to cost? Jesus says, where? What's the source? Philip says, dude, I'm going to have to work so hard. You have no idea the toil I'm going to have to go through to feed 20,000 people. My whole salary? Half of it wouldn't even do this. Philip is thinking in terms of lack. Jesus is trying to show them there is a source, there is something that can cover all the people, that's enough for all the You're concerned with lack, and you're, you're seeing on the single plane, but there's something more. Then, of course, Jesus breaks the bread and has the people sit down and distributes it. After that is when we get to our main passage, and Jesus says to read it again, do not work for the bread that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will Give to you, for on him God the Father has set a seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? We're obsessed with work. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. 
So they said to him, what sign do you do, again, uh, that we may see and believe you? Our fathers ain't man in the wilderness, blah, blah, blah. Truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread, but my father gives you the true bread. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Sir, give us the money miracle always. Sir, give me the provision that I need always. Sir, just keep increasing my salary. Sir, just keep giving me more. Just keep giving me this always. That's what I really need. Then we resolve it. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Augustine says, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they rest in you. We're restless because we're searching for the single plain bread. We're restless because we're searching for something in a place that isn't designed to actually fulfill it. There's a deeper desire. So we think of our lives as, as working and toiling to get the bread, to get the, the provision, the sustenance. That's what our hearts are after. And that's due to our fallen nature, right? We get this from Adam and Eve. We tend to think of work in a certain way. So we can kind of think of work in this uh, sort of equation. If you guys have that slide, we could put it up. It would go something like, like this. Like work is toiling for provision resulting in a comfortable life. This is how I get what I want. I need to toil. I need to do everything that I can in order to be provided for, yielding the life that I really desire. The love, the acceptance, the money, the provision. But Jesus flips it. If you caught what he was saying, he flips it to this. My work is to believe in me, resulting in eternal life. Jesus says, this, this is the work. It is believing in me, and you actually get eternal life. You're used to toiling, working in the way of the curse from Adam, but I give you a new way to work, a way of grace, and from that, you get eternal life. You just don't get physical bread or physical money or physical things or houses. I actually give you eternal life. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. It is given. So then then we're obviously faced with the question, what is eternal life? If this is, if this is the thing, who cares? What is it? John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Eternal life is the life that we're really craving. Eternal life is what we desire. Did you think eternal life just kind of like boop, clicked into gear when you died on earth? It's like, oh, well, I was in like regular life and then now I'm in eternal life. Man, sucks to be back there, doesn't it? Eternal life is heaven joined with earth again. It's mankind reunited with God, earthly life filled with heavenly purpose. The reason that Jesus can give eternal life is because Jesus is eternal life. When the Bible says that Jesus is fully God and fully man, he's combining the infinite and the finite. He's bringing the two worlds together. And in him, you and I receive eternal life when we eat from his bread. The Son of God became a son of man, so that by faith in him, sons and daughters of men could become sons and daughters of God and enter into eternal life. John 17, 3, when Jesus is praying to God the Father before he gets crucified, and this is eternal life, Lord, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God. You can think of it as a life that moves along two ways. It takes us into heaven, but it also brings heaven down to earth. 
this way, when we have eternal life, all of the world and its passions and possessions and all the stuff, now instead of being above God the creator, they come down and now they are used to serve and glorify him. Which means that our life's work is to believe in Jesus, from which we are granted eternal life, which is knowing God in Christ, whom he has sent. It's a life with God. It isn't knowing about somebody. I don't know about my wife. I know her. I live with her. I see her every single day. If you're not a Christian, you don't have that life. Which begs the question, why? Why would God do it for us? If clearly we just repeat this same cycle, why would he do it? We can have the band come up. Why would he give us eternal life? We just reject everything he gives us. He gives us a command and we're like, eh, I think I could do it better. I love this. In Deuteronomy, going again, back to the Old Testament, it's written, for you are a people, I want you guys to to grasp this, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were actually the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. If you were to think about a husband and wife having a conversation, and the wife would say, honey, why do you love me? And he'd say, because you're smoking hot, obviously. And she'd go, well, thanks. But what happens when I get old and I'm not, you know, smoking hot anymore? (laughs) Nice. Where were we? Smoking hot. So <laughs> she, she'd say, well, what happens when I'm old then? And I don't look the same. He'd say, well, I love you because um, we have great conversations. You're really smart. She'd say, well, what if I lose the capacity to be smart and have great conversations with you? He'd say, well, you're really funny. Your personality is awesome. I love hanging out with you, getting to laugh, doing life together. She's like, well, what if I, I'm not funny anymore? What if I have like a, a mental condition or something? Like, oh, let me think. <laughs> You'd be like, well, you contribute to this household so much. You're an amazing mother. You, you bring in half our income. Like, we, we genuinely couldn't do it without you. Well, what if I was bedridden? And what if I couldn't work anymore? Eventually, the husband would have to say, I just love you. I love you because I love you. John 15, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. God says, I love you because I love you. I'm perfect. I don't need anything. I don't need anything from you. I love you because I love you. God is in in perfect eternity. He, He doesn't need anything, which begs the question, if he doesn't need anything, why would he want to give us eternal life? Why would Jesus have had even come to earth? What's the point? There can only be one reason. He wanted to. Because he loves you. And he loves you because he loves you. Why this is such good news is it because, because it means that the work of our endless toil and pursuit of, of materialism and bread that slips through our fingers, uh, as a result of the sin from Adam, it comes to an end. And our work now is belief in Jesus Christ, and we're rewarded with eternal life, knowing God the Father and Jesus who he sent. 
the bread given to the Israelites, the manna in the desert, it's written later on in Exodus. He says, keep some of this to remember that I set you free from slavery to the Egyptians. Jesus comes in the New Testament, the bread of life, the bread from heaven to say, hey, I've set you free from sin, slavery to sin and death for all time. Our slavery to think that our life is up to us, our slavery to think our worth is dependent on other people, slavery to come up with a huge, really big, important thing that we need to do to create some value in us is gone. That's what Jesus does for you and I. I love this so much. Romans 5, 17 and, uh, and 21. Paul writes, For if because of one man Adam's trespass, trespass, death reigned through that one man, this is the curse that we inherit, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. As sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What we inherited from Adam was a curse of death. What gift we receive from Jesus is righteousness and life. The best part, we can't, you can't buy this bread. You can't buy it. The work doesn't earn you anything. All men fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. It's nothing that you and I could do. It's nothing good that we can do, and it isn't as if we would be too bad that it wouldn't matter, because it's not predicated on anything that you or I have or haven't done. It says, I love you, because I love you. Not I love you because you're a really good person. Not I love you because you chose to follow me. Not I love you because you're here in church today. No, he says, I love you because I love you. Because I want to love you. Not because you want to love me. I love you because I want to love you. Which means when we rebel against God as a Christian, when we rebel against God as a not Christian, God still says, I still love you so much. He says, man, I love you. We think it's toil. Jesus says it's a gift. And of course, this is why the entire Bible is summed up more or less in John 3.16, the, the most famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Do you see those two things? He loved and he gave. Every, it's a gift from God because he loved. So that whoever believes that's the work in him shouldn't die but have eternal life, that we may know God, that the being separated from God in Adam would be rejoined in Christ Jesus, that the endless pursuit of things and worth that slips through our fingers could finally come to an end and we can rest knowing, oh God, my life's work is to believe in you. How relieving is that? Let's stand here. What I love about the feeding of the 5,000 is, is obviously that was a sign. Jesus did this miracle sign so that these people would think, oh, okay, right, God did the sign, right? Where did it come from? But it isn't, it's like kind of a sign in a sign because how did he distribute the bread? He broke it. Jesus, Jesus allowed himself to come and be broken that we would get to be made whole. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.